The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Studying about the good old way. We need to talk about that today. I'm very concerned about how do I even begin to address the issues of walking in the good old way. My heart's so broken over this. I don't I don't know how to even begin to express my concern. But let me become very specific with you. This may upset some of you, but I have to be straight up and unvarnished and honest with you. I've had a number of friends tell me, a number of acquaintances tell me, you have to see this movie, Pastor. It's awesome. You've got to see it. It'll be a great encouragement to you, Pastor. So... They gave me a copy. It's been sitting here for some time. Finally, last night, I said, Okay, Lord, I'll watch I'll watch this movie. 
It's advertised as a great movie. Every family in America should see it. The movie is entitled Facing the Giants. Many of you were able to see this movie maybe some Wednesday night or Friday night, Sunday afternoon in your churches. Lots of pastors showed this movie and said, this is awesome. The power of belief, the strength to win. Well, it's the story of a man who in six years as a high school football coach, Grant Taylor, was never able to lead his Shiloh Eagles to a winning season. And when faced with seemingly insurmountable insurmountable professional and personal crisis, the idea of giving up had never come easier. It's only after an unexpected visitor challenges him to trust in the power of faith that he discovers the strength to persevere. It's advertised as a film that has it all. Don't miss this one. It's family-friendly all the way. Well, I watched it, and my heart was touched. There were a few scenes in it that brought tears to my eyes. I enjoyed it. But after I was finished watching it, it was time to go to bed. And as I went to bed and lay in the bed, I tossed and turned. I knew there was something wrong that I was missing. And I was troubled, deeply troubled in my heart. I finally went to sleep, woke up this morning, and I was equally troubled in my heart. I said, Lord, I'm troubled by this. First, I'm troubled by the name of the football team. They were called the Shiloh Eagles. This is a Christian school. Do you know what happened at Shiloh? Shiloh was the place where the tent of meeting was for the children of Israel. It's the place where there was complete compromise with with wickedness. It was a place where they mixed together the truth of God with the lies of men. It's a place where Eli was unwilling to discipline his sons and unwilling to walk in righteousness. Now, in the story of this football team, it's very inspiring. I mean, it's teaching you to never give up, to never back down, to never lose faith. And that if a little touch of revival can come into your life and you will just believe and put your faith in God, then your team can win a a state championship. You can do everything. Everything is possible for you. Now, here's the trouble. And it's a very serious problem, and it's so so intricate and so intertwined in our very fiber, I don't know how to even begin to talk about it. And that is that we have taken the gospel of Jesus in America, and we have Americanized it. We have mixed together humanism, willpower, strength, courage, can do, never give up, have faith. We've mixed that with the true gospel of Jesus. We've mixed that with success. We've mixed it with the fundamental teaching of the pagan who also teach in motivational speech, never give up. You can do it. Have courage. Do it harder. 
Press more. You'll get to the goal line. You can win. You can win. You can make it. What this film does is add a little extra touch and say, you can make it because God's going to, he's going to help you across the finish line and you're going to win the state championship. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Lord will not mix himself with humanism. There is no way to mix the cross of Jesus Christ with a football championship. Now, if true revival had come to that school, they wouldn't have even been playing football. If true revival had come to that school, they would have been on their faces repenting and crying out to the Lord about how do we share the gospel of Jesus? How do we walk in righteousness and holiness? It would not have been an add-on to a defeated life to make you successful. The gospel of Jesus is not about making you win in this world. It's not about success. The gospel of Jesus is about holiness. It's about righteousness. It's about being fishers of men. It's about laying our life down for Jesus Christ, not for success. So this touches us, this movie, Facing the Giants, because we all face giants. And the American can-do spirit says, okay, let's mix a little religion, let's mix a little paganism, little humanism, let's mix the human spirit in all of this, and let's go get her done. And the Lord has departed from the American church. And most who sit in the pews of the American church are comfortable in their mixture of worldliness and the Christian faith. And there is no power of God. There's no power of God to touch the city. There's no power of God to convert the nation. How is it that we have the finest pastors in terms of education paid the most money the biggest churches, the finest facilities. And we can't touch this wicked culture. We've missed it. You know, I know right now, in my heart, we must have a solemn assembly. Now, there are two ways we can go about having a solemn assembly. We can bring in a national preacher who's well-known, who's well-respected. Never mind that he does not preach against the sinning Christian, but says, yes, you're saved no matter what. We can bring in that national preacher, and we can bring in some well-known musicians, and the place will be packed out. And he'll give a little sermon, And he'll call for repentance, and people will get down and pray. But nothing will happen. I've watched, now please, I've been in Washington as a pastor for 50 years. I've watched, I've participated in countless internationally and nationally known personalities in the church as they have come to hold their big meetings in Washington. And nothing happened. When they left, it was like pulling their finger out of the water. The water all returned, and D.C. was just like it had always been. I have done the street preaching. I've done the tutoring on the inner city. I've expended all of my strength and energy to reach this city. I can tell you now, if if I were to die, my finger would be pulled out of D.C. and it would be as if I'd never been here. Except perhaps some of you who regularly listen 
who have become very serious followers of Jesus and you understand what I'm talking about today and you hate sin and you love righteousness and you will not compromise with the devil. But most of you have very serious compromise in your life with the powers of darkness. You've mixed together the human spirit and God's spirit and they don't mix. The call of the scripture is to come out and be separate, to touch no unclean thing. And he said, I will receive you, but he has not received us. We have been cut off. And if you don't sense that in your heart, if you're comfortable with your mixture of worldly religion, know that you're walking in the finest tradition of the children of Israel. Time after time, they compromised with Baal, who was the representation of money, of culture, of worldliness. But they kept their traditions. They continued offering sacrifices. They continued praying. They continued everything. And the Lord would have to bring destruction upon them. See why I said I I don't even know how to begin to talk about this with you. I am utterly sick in my heart of worldly Christian life. I am utterly sick of the constant compromise. As a young boy, I was so intent. I was raised on a farm. We had morning and evening worship. Everything in my father's life was about Jesus. He was a godly man. Probably the most godly man I've ever known. But then he sent me off to a Christian high school to prepare for ministry. And there I learned how to compromise the gospel with worldliness. And from there I went to a Christian college, and there I learned even more how to compromise with darkness. And then I was sent to the seminary. And I basically lost my faith in Jesus. and went out to pastor people with all of my education and sophistication and my book learning. And I was so distant from my father, I thought he was old-fashioned. I thought he was a relic of a past age. I grieved his heart deeply. He was right. I was wrong. I've come back to a place of saying I hate the mixture of worldliness in Christianity. And probably the greatest challenge I have faced in my life is how to shake off the compromise, to shake off the worldliness, to shake off the love of money and success to shake off ambition and pride and hardness of heart, to shake it off. I've had to spend a great deal of time in the prayer closet reading the scripture and praying hour after hour, month after month, year after year, to even begin to understand the heart of Jesus. Oh, my brother, my sister. Revival will not be just saying, okay, Jesus, make me successful now. No, revival comes and breaks the human heart 
and the human spirit confronts us with the wickedness of our hearts and says, turn now to the living God of heaven and recognize the compromise in your life and don't walk in it anymore. Everything seems to be about, okay, what do I have to do today? Or what's my bucket list? Where do I want to go and what do I want to do and how do I enjoy my life? Most of you do not think of yourselves as aliens and strangers in a foreign land. You've settled into a very comfortable place. You spend your money as wisely as you can and you use your money for the work of the gospel as you're able, as it doesn't interfere with your personal life and your personal lifestyle. Very few compromise time or sacrifice time and money and energy for the sake of the cross of Jesus because our God is our stomach. Our God is our pleasure. America is close to being finished. Either we're going to see a wholesale turning back to Jesus or this country will face the very worst possible abuse and destruction we could imagine with the enemies of America swarming over our land, murdering, committing genocide. We have been so blessed in this nation because we were a good people, a holy people. The church was strong. But today, not so much. Today we have become Shiloh. We are the Shiloh Eagles, except we're not going to win the state championship. We're going to be wiped out. We all like to be inspired and, and lifted with motivational words. But when those motivational words encourage us to hang on for our worldly goals and our human desires, they are utterly wicked. There's an incident that I want to share with you about Elijah. He came off that mountain of God with a with a new anointing of such incredible, miraculous power. He was no longer afraid of anyone. He was not afraid of Jezebel or her assassins. He knew they couldn't touch him. He knew now that the angels of God would come with a chariot of fire and take him into heaven without seeing death. He knew he was safe in the hand of Jesus. So there's an incident involving a vineyard that belonged to Naboth. This, this vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab. And so Ahab decided that his vineyard would make a wonderful vegetable garden. And so he stopped and talked with, with Naboth. And he said, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I'll pay, I'll pay you whatever it's worth in silver. Now, you know that they were not to permanently turn over their property. It was their inheritance from the Lord, and the land belonged to the Lord, not to them. So Naboth, a righteous man, said, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab is sullen. He is angry. 
and he goes to the palace and he lays down on his lush bed and he's sulking and he won't eat anything for dinner. And Jezebel comes to find out what's wrong with him. And she says, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat dinner? And he he answers, because I said to Naboth, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. He said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, says, is that how you act? as king over Israel. Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. She had access to his royal seal. And so she sent these letters to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And this is what she wrote. Proclaim a day of fasting Seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he cursed both God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Well, you would think that the elders would not compromise, but they did. They did exactly as Jezebel told them to do. They proclaimed a fast. Now that's a holy time to approach God. They seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. And two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and and brought charges against Naboth, saying that he had cursed both God and the king. They were lying, of course. But they took... Naboth outside outside of the city and they stoned him to death they murdered him they they shed his blood and then they sent word to Jezebel Naboth has been stoned and he's dead the most unjust thing that could possibly happen to a righteous and holy man and this man was righteous and holy As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she went to Ahab and she said, Get up, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth. He's no longer alive, he's dead. So when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and he went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. I've seen this kind of wickedness take place in the church so many times oh they don't stone them to death they just remove them from their position they politically maneuver among the pastors and the bishops so Ahab goes down but God has been watching And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. And Elijah answers, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you, I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. Do you see, it is very dangerous to provoke the Lord God of heaven to anger. 
and nothing provokes him like the humanistic spirit that says, I'm going to win. And it doesn't matter what it takes, I'm going to be successful. And that is the modern church. Also concerning Jezebel, the Lord said, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by his wife Jezebel. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols, like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. Oh, now he's going to become very, very religious. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Have you noticed how Ahab was humbled, has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his sons. So the Lord's saying, okay. He humbled his heart. He has fasted and put on sackcloth and ashes. He's walking around humbly. So I'm not going to bring this disaster on his whole family. I'll bring it on his son. Now, for three years, for three years, he had peace. Ahab had total peace. He'd humbled his heart before God. He was not pressing himself out after his deal. He humbled his heart. But then, there'd been no war with Aram. And he decided the Romoth Gilead belonged to him and he wanted it back. So he's going to go to war to get it back. Now he'd become friends with Jehoshaphat, who was a godly man. But again, a man who compromised himself with the wicked. And he would pay a price for that, by the way. But again, Ahab exerts himself and his pride rises up. He was only afraid for a couple years. And then he was back at his same old ways. And the Lord made a decision. He decided he was going to put Ahab to death, and that's exactly what he did. He sent him into battle, and he died. But it wasn't just he went into battle and died. What happened was Ahab thought he'd be tricked, he would trick the king of Aram. And so what he did was send Jehoshaphat into the battle in his royal robes while he disguised himself thinking, no one will know that I'm the king and I will be safe. And he had his soldiers around him protecting him. And of course, the king of Aram had instructed only go after the king of Israel. So they went after Jehoshaphat and he was frightened and he cried out and they said, oh, this is not the king. The scriptures tell us. Someone drew his bow at random and loosed an arrow and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. It was an arrow guided by Almighty God. So he told his chariot driver to wheel around and get him out of the battle. blood from his wound as he bled out till the bottom of the chariot 
and he died. And they quit the battle. Oh, my brother, my sister, I want you to see this. If I were to ask most of you, how has the church compromised? You would say, we're doing great, Pastor. We're growing. We have a wonderful pastor. Our finances are okay. What? God sent a judgment on the Christian church in America and on the world. He's had us shut down. Do you think that's accidental? God is angry with the American church. He's angry because we have bought into the motivational, worldly wisdom of the humanistic heart. And we have pretended that we were righteous while being taught that we could continue to walk in our sin and still be saved. We love the music of the modern church with its ditties. We love the the shallow. We don't want anything that we have to take time to sink our teeth in. Let me have a little devotional book so I can read it for a few minutes, and then I'm on my way. And it's a motivational devotional book, by the way, to make me feel good so I can go out and fight the giants, and God's going to help me win over the giants today. Are you kidding me? We have so compromised with worldliness that it looks normal to us. Not spending time in earnest crying out to God. Not spending time identifying our sin and repenting. Thinking we can go where we want to go and do what we want to do. That we're in charge of our own lives that God is blessing us because we live in a prosperous land. Some of you have even believed that you're going to get out of here because God has not appointed wrath for you. Well, What do you think the people in China are saying who are having their organs cut out while they're still alive and conscious and being murdered by the Chinese? What do you think about the Christians in Nigeria who are being rounded up and murdered because they will not turn their back on Jesus? Is wrath assigned to them and not to you, wealthy America? What do you think about those wonderful Chinese Christian people who've sold themselves into slavery in Saudi Arabia in order to be able to teach the gospel. And before they left for Saudi Arabia to to be undercover missionaries, they had a funeral with their family because they knew they would die in Saudi Arabia. They'd have their heads cut off or they'd be tortured to death because of their teaching of the gospel of Jesus. Is wrath not appointed to them? And you escape it? because you think you're going to fly out of here in some kind of secret rapture? What wickedness! Look at the poverty around the world. You don't feel it yet because most of you are not skipping food for days at a time because you can't find anything to eat. No, you can go to the soup kitchen or wherever you go or you've got a job and you can earn and you're in good shape wrath is not going to come to you can I tell you my brother my sister wrath is coming to America destruction is coming to America because we have not repented and we are not pouring ourselves out to help 
We sit silently by while American monuments to the righteous men of the past are torn down, while cities are burned, while Christians are murdered, while babies are murdered in their womb and the Christian church sits idly by. The Supreme Court steps forward and says wicked things and makes evil, evil decisions. Oh, my brother, my sister. We've been lied to from the pulpits of America. We've been sufficiently satisfied with a little bit of inspiration, a nice joke, some wonderful music to our ears, not to God's by our beautiful aesthetic buildings and our flowers and our programs and our little community outreaches that don't touch the city but just make us feel good. My Lord Jesus, you're going to spit us out of your mouth, aren't you? We're facing giants. And the giants are lies. And the giants have to be defeated. And they can only be defeated by repentance and confession of our sin. Some of you I've spoken with and you say, Pastor, I repented a long time ago. I don't have anything to repent of. A pastor told me that. I said to him, you need to repent of your sin. And he said, Pastor, I repented when I became a Christian. I'm covered. I'm family. God loves me. I am saved. I am on my way to heaven. Well, he filled his heart with the lust of the world and the ambition of his heart, all in the guise of being a wonderful Christian. Ahab mixed together his fasting before God, and God was pleased by his fasting. But God also ordered an arrow, an errant arrow, a stray arrow, to pierce through his armor and take his life and bleed him out in the bottom of a chariot. Our God is very patient and very kind. He will go to the utmost end to save us from our deceptions. But he has basically done everything he can do for the American church. And now we face destruction. America faces destruction. Our economy is going to collapse. We are going to see utter ruin why because we've believed lying movies like this one that comfort us in the midst of our shallow hearts I want to read a scripture to you we're almost out of time but I want to read this to you First John, second chapter. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And the word love here is agape. Do not sacrifice yourself for the world or anything in the world. If anyone sacrifices himself for the world, The sacrificial love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that is, to be pampered for lifestyle, for physical comforts, the lust of his eyes, the possession of things, 
the possession of people. And the boasting of what he has and does. His war stories about how he was able to triumph and gain the championship. This does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist, that is, you have heard the one who will set himself up against Jesus. The culture, American culture, has set itself up against Jesus. Some of you, I say this with sadness, are caught in the, in the flaming bitterness and anger of race relationships. It is the Antichrist who inflames race-baiting. When God looks at us, he doesn't see race. He sees good and evil. He sees obedience or disobedience. He sees a love of darkness or a love of Jesus. Even now, many antichrists have come. And America right now is filled full of antichrists. Things that have set themselves up against Jesus. Success. Race baiting. Love of pleasure. Refusal to sacrifice ourselves for the work of the gospel. Ashamed of Jesus. Don't ask me to testify about Jesus. I might lose my job. That job is Antichrist to you. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. That's true of the Christian church today. It has gone out from the true gospel of Jesus. It can't even figure out how to begin to repent because it doesn't think it's doing anything wrong. It's, it doesn't even recognize how sick it is. It's, its condition is hidden from the eyes of the pastors. So the pastors go and teach these little humanistic sermons with strategies for success, strategies to get to heaven, strategies to touch God foolishness, emptiness. Words that don't feed the soul. But John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Oh, wait a minute. If a man denies that the power of the blood of Jesus can remove and break all bondages of sin, that is Antichrist. If a preacher is teaching you that you're loved by God and you can't lose your salvation, he is Antichrist. Because what he's teaching you does, does not make you flee from your sin. It comforts you in the midst of your Americanism. Oh, my Lord, my God, my Savior. My heart is so broken today. My heart is so broken for America, for the church. I know you love the church. But, oh Lord, we've sinned so grievously before you. We have bought the lies of the world and we have sought the ways of the world. Lord, our churches are run like businesses with our CEO and our coach, our CFO. 
our indebtedness to Pharaoh because we couldn't trust you to bring the money. The entertainment of the world, the music of the world, the goals of the world. Lord, we have become so much like the world that they're comfortable with us and can't tell us from the sinner because most say, yes, it's okay to be a sinner. You can never leave your sin. Lord, that is an antichrist position. Lord, I'm praying for revival today. I'm praying that the Shiloh giants of America would be cast down. I'm praying that every church that is a Shiloh with sexual impurity, with arrogance and pride, I'm asking that you would come and change the heart of that people. I'm asking that they would turn as they did in the day of John the Baptist and cry out before you, not like Ahab, who after three years returns to his vomit, to his pigsty, and you finally have to just put him to death. Lord, I pray that will not be our end. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I don't speak these words to you in anger or wrath, for I know the Lord Jesus loves you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I want to just very quickly give you a partial honor roll. Dirk, thank you for your contribution for this month. Shirley, two times you contributed to the radio this month. Thank you. Emilia, Ernest, Gloria, thank you this morning, Gloria. You encouraged my heart. I want to meet you one day, and I know I will. And then a person, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I'm so sorry. It's spelled L-I-G-I-A. Thank you for your sacrifice for the gospel. And thank you who wrote to me and sent contributions. We're almost there, but we're not. We still need you to pay this month's radio bill. I'm standing by faith. He will move in your heart to give. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, one word, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I only speak this way because of great love in my heart and tears on my face. I'll talk to you soon.